verse 14. So, <clears throat> Mark 9, 14 to 29. And when he came to his disciples, Jesus, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them and straightway all the people when they beheld him were greatly amazed and running to him saluted him and he asked the scribes what question you with them and one of the multitude answered and said master i have brought unto thee my son which hath a dumb spirit and wheresoever he taketh him he teareth him and he foameth and he gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away and i spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out and they could not he answereth him and saith O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground, and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came to him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire, and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe. All things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out to him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried, and rent him sore, and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Well, we uh, are going to consider this issue of belief and unbelief. And we, um, we left three of the disciples of Jesus last week in the aftermath of the transfiguration. Jesus had appeared in this glorious state and his face shone brightly and it gave us a lot to think about. It's now the day after this party of four have reached the bottom of the mountain they see a crowd of people there seems to be a commotion so Jesus goes over to see what it's all about uh, it says here the crowd was amazed when they saw Jesus the original word in Greek it says greatly amazed the original word in Greek is even more powerful than, than that term greatly amazed if you can believe it it's quite a strong reaction some Bible students have suggested that the reason for their amazement was that Jesus's face was still shining, a sort of afterglow of the transfiguration. And they would point to the episode where Moses came down from the mountain uh, after his meeting with God and his face shone, uh, as we talked about last week. Now, there's a couple of reasons why that's unlikely. 
Well, firstly, you remember that Jesus had told those three disciples he was with not to tell anyone about the transfiguration. It seems strange then for him to say that and then walk down the mountain with his face shining brightly for all to see. Um, secondly, if if we if we if the reaction of the people with Moses is anything to go by, then we'd expect this crowd to do the same. We'd expect them to back off with fear, not be not be amazed and run towards him. So it's more likely that the crowd was just very very surprised to see Jesus t- turn up. So Jesus asks what all the arguing is about. I'm not sure. I'm not sure who he, it, this was addressed to. Uh, it could have been just the scribes or, or maybe others, but everyone heard it, and and someone at least uh, came forward to explain. This man had brought his child to be healed by Jesus. The child was uh, inhabited by a demon. And that's never a good thing. Now, since Jesus at the time was uh, up the mountain, uh, then the disciples who were left at the bottom of the mountain thought they'd they'd give it a go. They'd try and, you know, cast this demon out. But they failed. And I note that Jesus would not... He was not a, a, even a little bit amused by, by, by this. He didn't commend the disciples for, you know, and applaud them for at least having a, you know, making a good effort. He comes out with this quite strong rebuke instead. And he complains of an unbelieving generation of people and, and asks how long he has to stay in this world and put up with them. <laughs> uh, well, well, I have to confess... Traditionally, when when I when I when I read that rebuke, I, I I assumed it was aimed at the disciples only. But after studying this more carefully, I think that's unlikely. Uh, you might remember back in the second chapter. Do you remember the man who was uh, he was he, he was lowered down by his friends through the roof of someone's house? They t- tore the roof apart and lowered them because Jesus was in the house and they couldn't they they couldn't. Um, they couldn't reach him because there was a big crowd so this man was lowered down on ropes probably petrified but he got to the bottom and 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 but Jesus interestingly says this mark 2 and verse 5 when Jesus saw their faith the friends he said to the sick the man sick at the palsy son thy sins be forgiven thee thy sins be forgiven thee and he he goes on then afterwards to to heal him and the man jumps up jumps up as if there's never been anything wrong with him and so <clears throat> whenever jesus performs miracles of any type healings or, or exorcisms or whatever there was this necessity of faith it's either in the people being helped or as we've seen in even in the friends or, or family so I'm saying that when Jesus rebukes the people, the disgeneration for unbelief, he could be aiming it at the, the people in general. When the word generation that, that Jesus uses, 
uh, when that appears in Mark's gospel, it's, it's, it's never used to refer to the disciples. And it would be difficult to think that that small group of just nine people could be described as you know this unbelieving generation of, of people it's, it's just nine people so and of course the same reason we can't say the scribes uh, fit that uh, or the or the father for that matter so i think it's best to assume that jesus's rebuke was aimed at everyone present there was clearly a lack of faith in the disciples in the scribes obviously and even the father of the boy himself. <clears throat> the father's view is that what was happening to his son was demonic possession. He was convinced of that. And he insists that this demon wants to kill his child. And it reminded me of that time when there was a man. He was inhabited by a um, numerous demons and Jesus cast them all out and he um, they asked for permission not to be just thrown out into the no into oblivion but to be allowed to to jump from the man into a herd of pigs in the field nearby and, and Jesus gives them permission and so the multitude of demons inhabited the pigs and the pigs just immediately went went mad and started running full speed down the hill and just just threw themselves in the sea and drowned they were just turned insane by the the demons inhabiting them and it shows really that they just love these demons they just love to do violence to god's creatures and i suppose that being able to harm a human is of more worth to them than any of these other creatures now it, it's quite clear that some of the symptoms of this child's condition indicates he's suffering from epilepsy classic symptoms but we know it wasn't epilepsy as we know it normally because it caused the boy to be unable to speak uh, he, he was done and of course Jesus was, was well aware that there was a demon involved and you, you can see that as Jesus approached the, the demon went into a, a panic just by the presence of Jesus the, the demon panicked and it knew it was about to be forced out I came across a, a phrase and a, I, I, I looked this up because it's, a, it's like an old term I'm unfamiliar with one of the symptoms the father describes is a pining away he pineth away and the the term is um, the term comes from the, this this picture of a plant imagine if you let a, a plant in your house go dry you forget to water it for maybe just a day or maybe a whole week or whatever and you, you've seen sometimes that the, the leaves will wilt but of course other plants you'll see that they dry up and they become hard and they don't wilt they become they become uh, hard and that's the that's the sort of word uh, used and so but the thing is it doesn't matter which one is in use here because the, bo both of those things there's the stiffening and then the the um, the, uh, the 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 weakness and that is they're both 
forms of di different, they're both symptoms of different forms of epilepsy anyway. Now, I've said in the past that it's extremely unlikely that we will get anything like th this kind of demon possession uh, in our day. I believe it was a temporary phenomenon. But it's still interesting, isn't it, to note that these angels, remember demons are just angels who, are, who have rebelled against God, that uh, angels, that they have the ability to, to affect people in those very real ways. I don't know whether you spotted some similarity between what happened here and the raising of Jairus's daughter. So in that case she was dead. She was dead and this, this child, this boy probably wasn't. Uh, but in, in each case Jesus takes them by the hand and raises them up. And I, I'm inclined to think that that imagery was intended intended by God to be recorded for us. Uh, I think it's a reminder for us of Jesus' ability both to raise us up from spiritual death when he saves us and at the end of days raise us up from physical death too at the resurrection. When the disciples ask Jesus what went wrong when they tried the exorcism. Look at Jesus' answer. He said, This kind can only be rooted out by prayer and fasting. Now, it, it might sound like he's talking about a particularly stubborn type of demon that requires a special preparation, but that's not the case. He means to tell them that every one of this type of creature i.e. demons, can only be evicted by one who has a strong habit of prayer. That's what it means. And this issue of prayer is at the very heart of this whole episode. Um, prayer, if you think about it, is an expression of faith. You are, you pray, you're acknowledging that God's there, you're acknowledging he can hear you, if you're a believer, you understand you have acceptance and he will listen to you. He won't ignore you. And it's an expression of faith. And to lack faith is to have a deficiency in the use of prayer. The two go together. And a lack of faith is another way of describing unbelief, which is what we're talking about today. What a, what a powerful statement thrown out by the Father. He says, I believe. Help me to believe. So I'm, I, I'd like us to spend some time thinking about this issue of unbelief. And we're going to tackle this in uh, from three angles. We're going to look at the unbelief of the atheist. We're going to look at unbelief within those who, who, who believe in God theists and we're going to look at unbelief even in the children of God themselves so firstly then the unbelief of atheism you all know what atheism is is uh, I, I assume and um, if you think that the word theism theism means belief in God so when you put an a in front of it it, it 
makes it the opposite. It makes it the opposite. So if theism isn't belief in God, a theism is uh, an absence of belief in God, a denial of God. Now, if you view the population of the world today uh, and throughout history, outright atheism of this type is very much a minority view. But belief in God is really programmed into people and very few are able to suppress that their whole lives, uh, even if they even if they claim to. I was telling you a few weeks ago about some statistics, remember, about belief in God. And some of that was pretty saddening, such as the statistics that showed Britain uh, is one of the most irreligious countries in the world today. Well, I have some uh, some other facts that might interest you. You know that when uh, when a married couple have children, and, and that married couple are Christians, they obviously try to try to instill those things, uh, those biblical truths, into the children, and also pray for them that God would have mercy on them, because children come into the world um, not as friends of God, but as enemies of God, even in Christian families, and. That the, they're already part of Satan's kingdom, if you like. They're already with him. He, he just has to keep them there. That's all he has to do. In a way, he has the easy job. But we pray that God would, would, would rescue them from that and bring them into his kingdom instead. And you will know that to, to, the, to the great disappointment and sadness of many Christian parents, some children just, just abandon abandon the faith they they um they they try to um, avoid um, things like bible studies and church meetings and so on and some of them even want to really get as far away from that as possible i think i think for some there's a feeling of discomfort that while they're around those christian parents or they're, they're in the church environment there's this continual awareness that they are sinners and it makes them feel uncomfortable and for some the only solution is to run away uh, i don't mean run away from home necessarily i mean run away from god as far as they can and they'll they'll they'll, they'll go off into all kinds of distractions and sins and so that that's pretty depressing that that happens at all but i thought it was very interested interesting that those people those young people who eventually have no interest in the things of God, they are heavily outnumbered by those children going in the opposite direction, believe it or not. Because whereas a proportion of children from Christian homes certainly do grow up and, ha and don't ha share the faith of their parents, around half, maybe even more than half, of all children from strongly atheist backgrounds they have atheist parents, uh, half of them end up abandoning the atheistic uh, faith of their parents and embracing the idea of God, albeit not always the God of the Bible, but still, uh, belief in a God, that there must be a God. They, they start thinking for themselves and they conclude life makes no sense uh, without without a God. Life life just doesn't make sense 
according to the atheistic ideology of their parents. The denier of God is a bit like the boy in our story today. He's as good as dead. The death-like state of the child can be likened to the spiritual condition of the one who says there is no God. These are people, people around us. They're walking about, they're talking, they seem to be alive in every sense of the world, in every sense of the word. But according to the Bible, they are really the walking dead. They're the walking dead. If they continue, if they continue in their rebellious state, thinking that the Bible is not relevant to them, it's for, it's for other people, that's fine. It makes them happy, but not for them. If they carry on like that, they're going to, they're going to go through the whole lives underneath a cloud, a cloud of God's condemnation. You might remember this uh, scripture from John's Gospel. John 3, 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, because he has not you know, trusted in Jesus Christ. But why should they believe? Why, why should they? Well, um, the Bible... And man's own experience gives us lots of reasons why the atheist should turn from his delusions. The atheist is thoroughly deluded. Well, let's consider the let's consider this creation. Let's think about the completely unnecessary um, beauty in this world, the complexity of it, the the breathtaking vastness of space. The there's the existence of a conscience, uh, morality. There's a, a, this widespread belief in God, uh, and so on. And as the Bible states very clearly, they really have no excuse. They have no excuse for not believing. So why don't they believe? Why why don't they believe? Well, one factor is their own sin, of course. There's not a man, woman or child who's ever existed, exists today, will exist in the future, who does not sin every day. It's me, it's you, it's everyone in this world. And so the, the, the unbeliever, he, he suppresses the truth of God. That's, that's one of his sins. He suppresses that truth. And then there's also the influence of Satan. So you've got this other thing, this other factor as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul, who was used incredibly by God, said that the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The God of this world is Satan. And he's blinded, if you like, the minds of the people who don't believe so that they will stay in their unbelief. What these people need to do is they need to give in. The unbeliever needs to give in. They need to surrender. And they need to be aware. They might suffer ridicule. 
if they become a Christian possibly well certainly from from friends and from their own family close family even they need to be aware that that's a that's a very real likelihood they'll suffer ridicule they'll be thought of as weird and stupid and if they ally themselves with God there is a potential risk to say their career or, or, or even marriage or something in some parts of the world today they'll be putting their own selves their own persons at risk uh, people week by week Christians are being hunted down and killed um, in the most vicious ways and if if God makes uh, a man or a woman the object of his saving purpose that person will soon discover that they must be laid low before they can be lifted up and exalted they must if you like they must go on their hands and knees they must go on their hands and knees through a place of humility before Jesus will take them by the hand and get them up for the child in our story today it was necessary for him to be laid low just as if he was dead before Jesus would raise him up so that's then the, the unbelief of atheism and then we also have the unbelief of theism so you know what atheism is so you know what theism is theism a belief in God if you're watching this and you're a you believe in God you are a theist I hope you're not just a theist that it's more specific than that I hope you belong to Jesus Christ but this belief in a God anyway is the position taken by most people who ever lived they believe in uh, some higher power and for most of those this higher power is in the form of a personal God not an impersonal force like in Star Wars or something but a, a personal God and there are benefits to having more people just believe in God they're not believing in God and I'm assuming that we're not we don't mean those those religions which uh, have a tendency to want to kill people who disagree with them aside from those those unusual things having people in God is good for society for example I mean it's a hindrance to crime uh, for one but but if we try to view this race of men uh, through the eyes of the holy God of the Bible you'll see that this that vast multitude that constitutes the bulk of the human race is just as dead as the body of atheists the end time judgment of God is not about separating theists from atheists you don't you don't God doesn't save people because they believe in a God you should believe in God anyway it's it's pretty obvious that there's a God you don't get any awards for believing in God that's not what judgments about the, the the judgment of God is it's a separation all right but it's between those who are 
united to Jesus and those who aren't. That's what it's about. And among those, among those in, in the camp that God is going to ultimately destroy will be mostly people who believe in a God or even God, the God of the Bible. They believe that he exists and that's it. Well, I thought we should look at a couple of uh, scriptural examples of unbelief and I'm not saying the individuals here are um, that they don't belong to God but they're, they're just useful examples of unbelief in general and the first one is in Numbers chapter 11 so Numbers chapter 11 and verses 21 and 22 and Moses is speaking to God and he has he's being a bit sarcastic and Moses said the people among amongst who I am are 600,000 footmen and thou hast said I will give them flesh that they may eat a whole month shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them so that was a bit cheeky wasn't it uh, unbelief in God's promise to feed the people and then we have an example in the New Testament we have um, Zacharias he was the father of um, John the Baptist and an angel had appeared to him and told him about all these things were going to happen in his life and about the birth of John and so on about his wife getting pregnant and behold it says Luke 120 behold the angel says this is the angel Gabriel by the way thou shalt be dumb and not be able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season so in the crowd that we're looking at today in this passage we can assume every one of them every one of them believed in God apart from the disciples I mean you know the common people as well uh, as well as the religious leaders they they were theists and yet Jesus describes them as faithless beliefless if you like so we you can see there that words like faithless unbelieving etc they don't necessarily mean a complete absence of faith a complete absence of any belief in God doesn't mean that Th those words are also used to describe different amounts of deficiency in people's faith we're surrounded in our own lives by these faithless believers in God if that makes any sense faithless believers in God think of your own relatives who assure you they're Christians they may say well I say my prayers or I <laughs> I celebrate Christmas which presumably means I believe in Santa Claus they come out with these things and, and they are happy to identify themselves as Christians even a lot of people are as long as you don't start going into any detail and ask them to, to, to think about what it means to obey God because at that point they, they, they don't want to know and there are of course faithless believers who even attend Christian worship 
attend Christian worship, listen listen to preachers, but 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 faithless. Believe in God, but don't belong to Christ. Some theologians make this distinction, whether it's right or wrong, but it's useful. Theologians make this distinction between the visible and the invisible church. And so if you imagine the whole of Christendom, if you could draw a circle and say, right, within the human race, this circle represents, this circle represents all those who uh, claim to be Christian. They go to church. And... If they do, if they do those sorts of things and, and identify in that way and look like the Christians from their habits and things, then we would call that the, the visible church. And church just means a congregation, and so it's a the visible congregation. And then you might like to then think of, of a, a circle within that, a circle within the the visible church, and that circle represents the invisible church. And those, that core, are, are God's real children. And, folks, it's, it's almost impossible to determine whether a professing Christian belongs to God or not. I know in the past I've said, she can't be a Christian. She's, she's in there. No, no true Christian can, can continue in the Roman Catholic Church when they've been converted because it's abominable and this that and the other and but i've seen people i've seen people i've heard testimonies of people who were genuinely converted by god and continued in, in the, the church now now the people i'm thinking of eventually left and you might say oh, well that's it they, they must leave but we just don't know it's just arrogant to try and uh, make out that uh, certain groups of christians cannot contain believers it's just just folks just don't do it don't do it you, you don't know that that mormon who comes to your front door even with all the nonsense he's spouting you don't know that god isn't working in him so i've given up i've given up trying to say who is and isn't i i would i would question people and ask them if they met god today what would they say and i would be looking for signs i would be looking for signs that their, their trust is in jesus but we don't always know but god always knows god always knows who are his and so we, we preach the gospel to all who will listen knowing that some who some of those hearers believe in god but not on christ and we tell them to stop messing about. We tell them to choose today who they will serve. What we don't preach is that they need to amass a certain amount of faith and then, then go to God and sort of as if they were presenting it as a, as a way to gain acceptance with God. It's not about that. When God saves someone, he, he, he initiates it. He, he gives them this, this faith. And it may be a very small amount of faith, but it's enough. It's genuine. It's genuine. And it's genuine enough that they, they can then go to God in prayer and, and ask for, for an increase of their faith. And when you think about the Father in this story today, so he... he 
he he comes to this sort of he has this revelation, doesn't he, about himself that he both believes and is filled with unbelief. Now I can understand his unbelief in a way because you know uh, Jesus has chosen few. There was there was nine of them and. They tried to exorcise this demon from the, 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 the fella's uh, son, but they couldn't. So this guy had a reason to doubt whether his son could be healed at all. He doesn't have absolute confidence even that Jesus can perform the miracle he requires. Maybe beforehand he had more faith in Jesus, but having seen this failed attempt, he, he's really doubting now. His faith is small, but it's there. It's real. And on the basis of that small but genuine faith, Jesus heals the boy. A small but genuine faith that God graciously gave him in the first place. Well, the unbelief in atheism and the unbelief in theism. But of course, I said we would look at unbelief in ourselves we who belong to God the unbelief of true belief I've called it which may sound even more odd than than the the others the unbelief of true belief well you shouldn't be surprised it's only a reflection of what we've been speaking about just a few moments ago you you can have a true belief but mixed in with ten times more unbelief the, the true belief in our heading refers to God's people. True belief is held by God's people. Those who Christ Jesus came to save. We who have passed from death to life. We were once in a state of utter faithlessness. Listen again to the Apostle Paul describe his former life. This is what he was like. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13 says... I was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, violent, uh, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He recognises that he lived his life in unbelief. But the believer, the one who's left that life and has a new, has a new life in Jesus, the believer still suffers with unbelief. None of us has perfect belief or anything near it. And so we should be careful. It says in Hebrews 3 and verse 12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It's, it's, it's very serious. You know, we should trust in God. We really should. We should trust that, we should trust that he's the the almighty God as as described in scripture we, we we trust that he's also a personal God uh, a personal God who has a purpose to save a people for himself we need to trust that the promises of God in Jesus Christ are absolute guarantees if you've been a Christian for a while then Examples from the Bible and your own life should suffice to show his faithfulness. And we need to trust God in the, the bad times as well as the good times. The Christian life has the same 
ups and downs experienced by the world we're not exempt but it also has its own special highs and lows and I thought I'd, I'd mention some examples we have Moses Moses comes down from his encounter with God only to be confronted with idolatry and rebellion Elijah leaves the uh, encouraging environment of Horeb to face the um, the godlessness of Jezebel and Ahab Jesus himself is is he's driven from the blessedness of his own baptism out to face temptation by Satan in the wilderness and now today we're seeing Jesus and those few disciples descend from that glorious manifestation of God in the transfiguration and having to contend with strife and unbelief uh, theologian uh, Grunler uh, wrote a book a commentary on Mark's gospel and he says he describes it like this from the mountaintop of theophany theophany God appearing to man from the mountaintop of theophany and glory Jesus descends with the three disciples to the valley of unbelief and so it's not surprising that this episode has been used as a basis for many a sermon it's it's a very stark contrast isn't it and as great as our mountaintop experience uh, our experiences may be um, our everyday work for God takes place in the in the, the valley uh, of this world the disciples have true belief don't they um, the disciples have true belief despite their unbelief here and the misunderstandings that we come across all the time about doctrine and things they belong to Jesus and here they're rightly baffled um, no I shouldn't say rightly baffled but they are baffled by their inability to exorcise this demon because they'd been previously all over Galilee exercising demons they came back all excited at one point Luke 10 and 17 they came back all excited and said and the 70 returned obviously more than just the 12 here but there were 70 disciples here uh, the 70 returned again with joy saying Lord even the devils are subject unto us through thy name they've been casting out demons as well as physically healing people their problem was they were ministering without Jesus now we don't mean just that Jesus was absent from them because he had business up the mountain they'd begun to believe that their healing gift uh, could be exercised automatically something in them rather than something derived from God through constant and fervent prayer that's that's the issue our spiritual strength isn't something given once and replenished automatically it needs to be renewed day by day 
that's how God wants to wants us to feed on him by drawing on him day by day and Jesus' disciples today uh, meaning us uh, are just as much at fault in this area as, as those were back then and preachers you know are no exception imagine a man who imagine a preacher who he, pr- he prays he prays fervently to God before delivering a sermon perhaps he's a new preacher perhaps he's nervous at the thought of a weighty task yes I was that person I still am nervous at the thought of this task and this guy the the prayers to, to God are answered uh, he, he finds himself preaching passionately he, he's blessed he he he, um, he witnesses really the Holy Spirit really driving the message into the hearts of those who are listening and he praises and thanks God afterwards for the great blessing several years pass he's become an accomplished preacher he's gone into a good routine he finds that he can he can confidently preach without the prayer he once needed so much and so he develops this dreadful independence of God now insofar as he preaches truth the people might still be blessed but he's far from being a faithful servant of Jesus Christ now look when any one of us determines to do anything in obedience to God we must be confident we're going in his strength and not our own and remember we have to be prepared to go to God in prayer even if our faith is weak with whatever genuine faith you have you go to God in prayer you go to him and you make the same plea that the man made in our, in our story I believe in you Lord say I believe in you now help me with my unbelief so understand this that Jesus didn't expect the father here to completely overcome his doubt before making his appeal instead the man was pleading with one who himself had absolute faith that all things were possible you see Jesus Christ has that perfect faith we spoke about there was not a shred of doubt in the Savior's mind that as soon as he gave the command that demon would leave and leave forever our confidence friends is in the perfect faith of Jesus Christ and not in the strength of our own it's not about the quality of our faith but it's the power of the one faith connects us with and having that access now you have that access to the throne of grace make it a priority to ask God for help with that most awful of sins the sin of unbelief we'll close with this verse from Jude and it's verse 20 to 25 Jude 20 to 25 but ye beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith praying in the Holy Ghost keep yourselves in the love of God 
looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Uh, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now, unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless, before the presence of his glory with, it, with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. The Lord bless you all mightily, and uh, I thank you for, for joining with me. Uh, it's a real privilege to preach the, the gospel of God's sovereign grace to his people and to those who are outside the kingdom. If you wish to get in touch before I return in a couple of weeks, you can always um, you can always um, get in touch through Sermon Audio or the the website address. There you can go there and contact us through there if you need to share anything or ask for prayer or tell me I've said something wrong even. <laughs> Then please do get in touch, and if you are uh, celebrating these these Christmas holidays, then I pray you would have a blessed time with family. And uh, until until next time, in the in the grace of God, uh, I will say goodbye, and the Lord bless you all. <laughs>